Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Horror Weekly. So the decade of the 80s can lay a very strong claim to being the greatest decade in the history of horror. For movies, almost certainly. For fiction, even more so. You can probably make a strong argument for the 70s. And if you're a purist, maybe the 30s. But the 80s have a double-barrel shotgun way to win this argument. Because not only can they fight for the greatest mantle, but they can also the 80s can also go for the most fun, where it almost certainly wins. And this fact got us thinking. So if the 80s is the best decade of horror, what is the best horror movie of the 80s? What's the best of the best? Now, with the 70s, I'm pretty comfortable in just telling you straight out that I, we believe The Exorcist is the best horror movie of the 70s. The only other real contenders here would be Jaws, which just can't win over The Exorcist because it's a little horror adjacent, and Alien. But Alien's a weird one for this because it almost feels like it kicks off the 80s to me. It doesn't feel like a 70s movie per se. The Exorcist with its clothes and its dialogue and its like medieval medical torture scenes where they're experimenting on Regan trying to pretend that science can beat the devil. Like this feels very, very 70s, whereas Alien just doesn't have a lot to date it. I mean, it's a set in a future and it's really doesn't tell its 70s origin. It doesn't give it away very much. With the 30s, I pretty comfortably tell you that the greatest horror movie of the 30s has the word Frankenstein in its title. It's either the original Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein. As much as I love Dracula and Freaks and the whole decade entirely, um, Frankenstein is the greatest horror, single horror creation of that decade. And it's not even particularly close. But with the 80s, this answer seems a lot more mysterious. So to answer this question, we turned to our online community, of course, and asked over half a million horror fans what the best horror movie of the 80s was. So join us as we go through the votes, encounter quite a few surprises, and all decide together what was the best horror movie of the 80s. His name was Jason. Kruger, Mom. Fred Kruger. Do you know who that is, Mother? Because if you do, you better tell me, because he's after me now. Nancy. Get away from her, you bitch. Theory, you know, the 50s were boring. The 60s rocked. In the 70s, oh my God, they obviously suck. Right? <laughs> Come on. Maybe the 80s will be radical. You know, I figure we'll be in our... So I think we've got a funny story for you because when we put this question up to a vote, there was a pretty strong immediate backlash from the horror fans online who follow us at Horror Weekly on Facebook and Instagram and all the other places. And the gist of the argument was this is an unanswerable question. Like, how dare you ask it? We have to do this in bracket form. There's no way to pick this. There was even a few people who were like 
Are you even a horror fan if you can answer this question with just one answer? And uh, after a lot of that beating kind of came our way, um, to our surprise, it turned out this is a very answerable question. The number one uh, answer to this, the winner, um, became clear in less than an hour. And the gap between this movie and all the ones behind it just got bigger as the voting went on. Now, a normal podcast would save this answer to the end, like who starts a countdown with number one. But because the winner was so clear and because that means that it, as you're listening right now, you're probably thinking the title of this movie as we speak. Let's just get out of this way now. So here's the thing. Literally, the thing. John Carpenter's sci-fi horror masterpiece. This was the only horror movie to get more than 2,000 votes. And the very first vote (laughs) that kicked it off with a pretty thoughtful comment behind it was pretty creepy because it's from a follower of the page named John J. Campbell. Now, this is weird because John Campbell, the author, is the person who wrote Who Goes There, which was the inspiration for the original (laughs) The Thing from Another World. So if you're related or a reincarnation or, dare I say, a exact biological copy, um, John J. Campbell, thank you for the comment. And uh, please don't uh, come anywhere near us physically. But he said the thing snubbed at the time and damaged Carpenter's career, which is a travesty. I watched it on a small screen multiple times. Went to see it when it was screened at a local cinema, and I tell you, I could still feel the tension throughout it. If that isn't peak horror, I don't know what is. Completely agree. Now, before you switch the podcast off and are just like, oh, that's it, I got the winner, um, I think most of the incredible surprises that lay in store were in how the top 10 sort of sorted out, which we're going to cover. Plus, it's not our pick for the greatest horror movie of the 80s and as much as we love the thing for a very specific reason which we'll get to but let's talk about why the thing is such a clear winner for at first there's a phrase that goes uh, a jack of all trades but master of none and it basically means being good at everything but not being great at anything or at least not great at one specific thing but the thing is a jack of all trades and master of everything. It's literally good at all the things. (laughs) No pun intended. So I rewatched it recently, and it was really striking how good it is at big and small. I mean, wide open landscapes and crushed in dark claustrophobia. Advanced alien technologies and just McCready and the gang running around and MacGyvering everything. The mysteries of what this alien is and how it works and how puzzling all that is. And then just the simple, clean answers of you can kill it with fire. I mean, this is a creature that can die by meme, basically. An enemy that comes from so far away that you don't even can't even imagine the the span of distance and time that it traveled to get here. And then the other enemy, which is like the guy in the bunk bed above you, 
this movie is both vast and small. It's like combining Lawrence of Arabia and Ryan Reynolds' Buried. It's effortlessly perfect in a lot of places where horror movies fall down, which is the beginning and the ending. And the effects hold up magnificently 40 years later and just may never age badly. There's also some satisfaction in it winning this vote so clearly since the thing got snubbed on its first release coming out in the blockbuster summer of hell competing with E.T. and all kinds of things. I gotta stop saying thing. So this being one of John Carpenter's masterpieces, perches comfortably in the top spot. Well deserved. The number two and three positions in the voting were also weirdly clear cut. It didn't really bunch up until the fourth through tenth spots. So at number two, was Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, The Shining. Oliver Hellfire Thompson, great name, (laughs) commented in the voting, a terrifying haunted house story with characters you generally care for, isolated from the world with real evil for company, with an utterly unhinged and iconic performance from Jack Nicholson. No matter how many times I see it, I still fear that somehow, this time, no one will ever survive the overlook. The axe scene, the twins, the elevator full of blood, the bar, the baseball bat scene, the maze scene, all work and no play making Jack a dull boy. The Shining is the greatest horror movie of the 80s. I really appreciate Oliver listing it all out there. Sometimes, especially with uh, newer horror fans, The Shining gets a little bit of uh, pushback for being a slow burn. But when you list out the actual iconic, and there are (laughs) so many iconic moments and scenes that weren't even in that list at all, right? Like when you list them all out, it, it really feels like you could cosplay as like every other scene in this damn movie. I remember a while back when the first uh, idea of scientifically measuring which movie was the scariest started to float around. I don't remember when it happened, but it was, you know, it wasn't, it was early on in the internet and the shining reigned at the top spot of that for a long time until we all got so jaded and conditioned by lots of gore and lots of top notch special effects and tons of jump scares that, you know, movies like Sinister moved uh, into the top spot over The Shining. But The Shining was legendarily terrifying, pulse-pounding, anxiety-inducing for its time, and, and still to this day, to me anyway. All right, next in the voting, one, two, Freddy's coming in third. So A Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven's 1984 influential horror movie is clearly it was the pretty big gap between this and then the rest of the spots as i mentioned jeremy dunlap on the page said a nightmare on elm street is my vote it was compounded by the fact that it was nighttime when the movie let out and we had to walk right by mount vernon mortuary on greenback lane trying to scare each other the whole time One of my top favorite nights of the whole 80s. So much so that I'm 51 and I can remember it like yesterday. Still remember the poster for The Terminator in the lobby. Amazing. Thank you for the comment, Jeremy. Love horror memories like that. 
of the big, big slasher franchises, Elm Street's always been the second one to me behind Halloween. Although I like the Elm Street movies more than the Halloween movies in total. But my favorite horror franchise moments are in Halloween. And then I have Friday the 13th right behind that and Texas Chainsaw behind that. But Elm Street is an amazing movie. And that's coupled with the fact that it's also represented in my memories by still to this day, my single favorite horror documentary, the absolute mind blowing (laughs) behind the scenes masterpiece, Never Sleep Again. Now, we basically had a three-way tie for the next top spot between Fright Night, Evil Dead, and Evil Dead 2. Now, this is really interesting to me. I don't think I expected Fright Night to be quite as high in the voting as it got, but I was glad to see it there. The Evil Dead thing is um, fascinating for me because... I mean, I might be crazy. Let me know in the future comments on the pages if you think that I am about this. I remember back when Evil Dead 2 seemed to be clearly favored over Evil Dead 1 by most of the horror fans I knew or talked to. And to see the original Evil Dead kind of rise up again to this almost beating it. I mean, it was basically a dead tie. It's kind of cool to see, to be honest. And I'm using um, (laughs) like YouTube reaction videos, especially the first time watch style, at least the ones I believe might be real that they're first time watching. And especially if it's a really young person or a young group of people doing it, Um, to gauge how films are aging. And it is really interesting. Like Blair Witch Project, I don't think I can find a single first-time watch YouTube video of someone enjoying Blair Witch. (laughs) Like everyone who watches it is bored or kind of hates it or is underwhelmed, right? And there's a lot of horror movies where you go in and you're expecting like, oh, this is really going to blow the Even Jaws is um, underwhelming in its impact on like the 18 to 20-ish crowd for the most part. But the original Evil Dead, which was super low budget and is an old ass movie at this point, um, really rattles <laughs> the first time watchers. I was seeing a video with, I mean, literally thousands and thousands of views. Might have even been 100,000. I can't remember. It was popular. And it was a pair watching Evil Dead. And not only did it terrify them, but they were like fighting back, being nauseous. They were feeling like they were going to throw up. They were disgusted. They were hiding their eyes and not looking at the screen. I mean, this movie, after all this time... And the fact that kind of everyone vaguely knows the story behind it now still packs quite the punch. So the original Evil Dead being in the top five was probably my biggest surprise in the top tier voting. Coming in actually in fifth place after all those ties is Clive Barker's Hellraiser. So we all know Hellraiser. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm just going to point your attention to what's not here 
And this has happened on this podcast and on our pages before. So now I'm starting to wonder, is it, I mean, we have more than half a million followers, so it seems like it would be big enough grouping to be a representative sample size of horror fans, at least online in general. But Alien and Aliens have now failed to crack the top tiers twice. Once when we did an episode called The Scariest Horror Movie Scene Ever, where the alien chestburster scene was almost nowhere to be found in the voting. And now Aliens isn't even in the top 10 of these votes. Now, granted, uh, there might be a lot of people who think that's even more horror adjacent than Jaws, which I suppose I could see. But has the Alien franchise fallen out of consciousness a bit, or is it just a quirk of our community? Not sure. Now, we basically had a five-way tie for the rest of the top 10, so it's not even in a particular order. I mean, it really was so close, it was almost impossible to stack them. But first, I'll mention Poltergeist, then An American Werewolf in London, and then The Fly, and then for the other surprises in the voting, The Fog and Near Dark. Didn't really expect those movies to be ahead of Lost Boys or Friday the 13th's Multiples or Return of the Living Dead, which was close but not in the top 10. And if I could have waved a magic wand, I would have, of all the movies that fell out, I probably would have moved that one up, except for one, which we'll get to. There was some valiant fighting for The Howling and Pumpkinhead that were in the top 10 briefly and then fell out as the votes grew, as well as Child's Play. And even though it didn't get near the top 10 at all, I just want to shout out the Night of the Comet crew. I was in your tribe. I was rooting for you to get more votes. It's a personal favorite. But that brilliant movie was underappreciated then, and apparently it's still a little underappreciated now. So now comes our choice for the best horror movie of the 80s. And while The Thing is a really, really good answer, we have a very specific reason for not choosing it for this particular question. And the reason is, and don't get too mad at us here, but both The Thing and The Shining feel a touch horror adjacent. And 80s horror was extreme horror. At least it's one of the most fun elements of what the 80s was all about in terms of the genre. So we're going with a movie that we think is at least equal to those in quality, but more 80s, ultra 80s, which is George Romero's Day of the Dead. We think Day of the Dead has the scariest villain or villains. And one way to think about this is look at the endings of the three movies. So the ending of The Shining is basically a happy ending for everyone but Jack and Halloran, <laughs> clearly, and the evil forces in the Overlook Hotel. But Wendy and Danny are off to live their life, lick their wounds, heal from their scars. The Overlook may live to kill again, but 
let's be honest, it's body count at, I don't know, like two or three people every 20 years is not that um, ferocious in terms of the genre, right? And even thinking more about it, and this may be a weird way to think of it, um, the villain, the Overlook Hotel, is strangely impotent in a in a way, right? Like if you're outside, if you're outside the Overlook Hotel's parking lot in a in a functioning snowcat, in not the worst weather ever, like you're fine. <laughs> when Wendy, when when Wendy and Danny left. The Overlook didn't chase them. It couldn't. It literally had to gather all its might to, like, open one pantry door to let Jack out. And who knows if the hotel even managed to physically lift that latch. It might have possessed Danny or Wendy sleepwalking. It might only be able to work through humans. But if you're outside the Overlook Hotel going seven miles per hour on a snowcat, the hotel can just look at you and be mad as you go by. Whereas even like a slow walking Jason in snowshoes or whatever is a scarier prospect. If you're two football fields away from the Overlook Hotel, you're in more danger from the It Follows creature than from the villain of The Shining. The thing ends with a valiant crew battling to save all of humanity successfully right this was a creature that was beaten by a very tired malnourished and freezing small band of humans sure it wreaked havoc while it lasted but it basically was beaten by mccready's zero fucks given <laughs> attitude and even if you think childs and or mccready is the thing at the end the way I read the film is everything is blown up. So it's like the uh, ending of Midnight Mass where everything burned down and the sun was coming up and the vampires had nowhere to hide. Like the cold is going to refreeze the thing. And sure, if the thing is left, if it's Childs, for example, um, maybe it survives in a block of ice. But um, if everything truly is blown up, Probably not. When you think about it, the plot of The Thing is basically the same in shape as the plot of Knock at the Cabin. It's a few people sacrifice themselves to save the world. But in Day of the Dead, there is no world to save. There's only themselves, and they have one hell of a time even trying to do that. Sure, John, Bill, and the great Laurie Cardile as Sarah make their escape in the end, spoiler, um, via helicopter to the promised island that um, the Bill calls <laughs> paradise. Um, but the odds were given at the beginning of this movie by Dr. Frankenstein that zombies outnumber humanity at the point of this movie 400,000 to one. So even if they attempt to restart humanity on this little island, they can't scale. <laughs> like, there's nowhere to go. And Sarah does seem to be stubbornly clinging to the idea that there might be some fix to this, which is indicated by her marking her calendar, keeping time, a little holdover from the old world that 
John, the helicopter pilot, in a great speech earlier in the movie, urged her to let go. That the old world, our world, our civilization was meant to die. It was meant to be purged. It was meant for a new, fresh start. And chillingly, maybe that fresh start is the zombies. <laughs> maybe they're the evolution of us. And let's not forget possibly the greatest zombie in horror cinema, only rivaled by Tarman, and if you count him, the Frankenstein's creature, in Bub, played by the amazing Howard Sherman, who uh, Romero himself said he believed uh, Sherman deserved an Oscar for this part and put it on par with Karloff's performance as the creature in Frankenstein. Because like the dude from Big Lebowski, Bub abides. He leaves us with horror's most sarcastic salute, even though he probably didn't mean it that way, and stumbling off to his new adventure. Sadly orphaned without his father, Dr. Frankenstein, just like Frankenstein's creature, both craves having a creator, father figure, and wanting none to be responsible for himself. Joseph Pilato basically steals a lot of this movie as Rhodes, which is an incredible job because he plays a credible replacement villain in a movie with the most frightening villains we can think of, a horde of unstoppable zombies. Another reason we choose this movie is its integrity. Romero penned a three-movie deal after Dawn of the Dead was a pretty large hit, and he did not make the sequel to Dawn right away. He was afraid, I believe, that if he made it first, they might try to back out of the deal and not let him make the other two movies. So he made Knight Riders, and then he made Creepshow, and then he finally got around to Day of the Dead. But because Knight Riders and Creepshow didn't do that well, Creepshow was a modest hit, Knight Riders not so much, um, there was now interference. They wanted more creative control to give less creative control to Romero, and they definitely wanted it to be an R-rated, not unrated movie. And Romero made his choice. No, you don't get creative control. And no, it will be an unrated movie. And if you're going to have the budget because of that, so be it. So he took a movie that was basically, in his mind, going to be gone with the wind on an epic scale with zombies and scaled it way down to this nihilistic classic. The Dead movies uh, have always been about isolation, but Day of the Dead uh, takes this one step further. It's basically concentric circles of isolation. Think Dante's circles of hell. There are units of people, of one, that have basically nothing to share or in common with anyone else. They're alone. Sarah is the only woman in a group of, of men <laughs> And no one can share her experience. John and Bill are friends, but with vastly different priorities. Dr. Frankenstein has some understanding with the group he's with, but can't really share his vision successfully. He's, that's why he becomes so close to Bub, for God's sakes. Um, Bub, obviously, is isolated out from the rest of the zombie pack, kind of being 
a more thoughtful or docile, at least for a time, version. Even the units inside the military aren't working together. And you can tell how divided they were by when the stressful situations come down, how Rhodes bails on them at the end to the frustration of steel. And this was mirrored in the strange way in this movie was shot. It was a lot of it was shot in a missile silo in Pennsylvania, which is a cave, huge cave that was underground. It was permanently 55 degrees, permanently dark, very hard to light. Tom Savini actually said that down there, they, there was a 27 acre lake in, in pitch black that like if you got too close, you would just fall in and drown. Romero joked that even though they were down there for three months, they didn't see to the ends of either side of it. And imagine how that shoot is going to go for in a movie this is intense. You basically descend into the cave during the daytime, shoot all day, and when you come out, it's dark. These people did not see the sun for 90 days. When you're making a movie called Day of the Dead and you need on-set physicians to give you B12 shots because you are seeing no sunlight, the irony has to be unmissable. And then another core reason to choose this movie is I think we still undersell the importance of the Tom Savini era in horror. He was so pivotal, and this was him at his height. He called this his masterpiece of splatter. He said that it's his favorite of the dead movies, as it's also Romero said this was his favorite of the dead movies. But you can really see the evolution of Tom Savini's craft from Dawn of the Dead to Day of the Dead later. These zombies are super realistic. The kills are unforgettably gory and satisfying when it happens to the people you've been rooting against, basically. I will never forget the visual of the shovel decapitation of the zombie, followed by the amazing shot of our heroes leaving that area of the cave and the camera settling on an upside-down, decapitated, mostly head, staring into the dark, just blinking with confusion. Just gives me goosebumps even saying it now. But Savini wasn't just doing effects on this movie. He was part of the editing process. He was part of the photography. And Greg Nicotero was there too, and lots of great names. But Savini is the best to ever do it. And this was the best he could do. I think about the incredible visual of the military elevator slowly coming down with the alarm sound behind it. And it's just thronged with zombies of all different types and characteristics and uh, apparel. And they're just an incredible mix of supernatural and natural disaster. Once you spot a horde of zombies like this, you're dead. And that's like when you see Jason. But seeing them just flood down in the elevator and then flood through the cabins is also a very when the levee breaks kind of feeling. It's like a dam breaking and your town being flooded. They are the best and worst of both villainous worlds. And Bub's charmed accidental triumph where he escapes getting shot by steel and just carries on and on going on. 
I I hope the best for Bub. I hope he got to stuff that copy of Salem's Lot in his pocket on his way out of the silo. But Bub seeing his father figure, Dr. Frankenstein, dead, slaughtered on the floor, and his reaction, the holding up the chain, the the movements he makes, the sounds, it just gives you all the feels. And I think Romero was right to analogize this to Frankenstein's creature because it's a similar feeling. It's the way horror fans in the 80s could get a feeling like that. And it's all of a sudden you're in the seats in the in the 30s getting your heart broken unexpectedly by James Whale. And speaking of Romero, man, does he deserve to be here? No one was more skilled, had more integrity, um, could be scarier could be more rogue than George Romero and loyal. I mean, literally, Bill Cadrill, the father of Laurie Cadrill, who did an incredible job uh, as Sarah in this movie. Her performance from the opening shot of the turning around from the hands to the scenes. There's this incredible scene where she breaks down post-confrontation just a little bit, like shivering, but still holding it together. Uh, just a master class in performance all the way through. But she's the daughter of Bill Cadrill, who hosted Schiller Theater in Pittsburgh and was, according to Romero, the biggest supporter, single supporter of Night of the Living Dead. So to have his daughter carry on the tradition in this incredible role and knock it out of the park is a testament to Romero's eye and his taste and his loyalty and to how close-knit that crew was. So to us, Day of the Dead is the best horror movie of the 80s. And in the mortal words of Sarah, fuck you, sir. (laughs) Great catchphrase is an essential for a great horror movie. Now let's turn quickly to the best horror movie we watched this week, a segment we're trying to do weekly now. When it's not the best, it's the worst, (laughs) if we haven't seen anything good. But keeping with the 80s vibe, didn't have to rewatch any of these um, in this week. Uh, I, re- I watched The Thing maybe a month ago, um, didn't rewatch any of the other movies we talked about here. But I was a little mystified by how little votes came in for Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont's 1988 The Blob remake. Because I remember it as being one of the very best horror movies of the 80s, but it was pretty invisible in the voting. So I went to rewatch it to be like, did I remember this wrong? Um, or is it just uh, got getting washed out by the fact that there's just so many great movies to choose from in the decade? And it's definitely the latter because that movie is still amazing. One of the things I like about this is it's a true remake. Sometimes we use the word remake and it's not really accurate, especially if it's being made from a book or a story and then into a movie and then to a different movie and you're doing the remake. Are you remaking the first movie or the second movie or are you remaking from the story? This happens with Dracula and Frankenstein and, and the thing even all the time. But the blob is just the remake of the blob. <laughs> That's it. It's straight up and it keeps pretty much all the story beats of the original and most of the iconic scenes. So it's just a clear example 
of how to do an excellent remake just straight up, like all whiskey, no chaser. But the thing that really caught my eye on this rewatch is the way this movie is structured, it kind of catches the same magic that 30 Days of Night does. It's a town invaded and oppressed by uh, an evil presence. Although in 30 Days, the authority presence of the police officers is way smaller than the military presence in The Blob. But it still has a lot of that running around the town, hiding in places like in tubes or in attics that you get when you're in a small town atmosphere. It's got the best phone booth assault since maybe Hitchcock's The Birds. Shawnee Smith is a really underrated final girl. She should be a top category just for the performance in this movie alone. And one thing that really caught my eye here was if there were like the blob remake super fans, like if there were people who were obsessed with this movie and saw it like 20 or 30 times, there is no way that they were surprised by the ending of The Mist. This movie has a dress rehearsal shot for the reveal at the end of The Mist that is so close. Basically, Timothy Hutton and Shawnee Smith are on the run and they're um, trying to get away from what they think are aliens. And all of a sudden lights appear uh, over some trees and it gets really bright and there's like a roaring sound. And you think like this alien UFO slash blob slash monster thing is coming around the corner. And then lo and behold, it all clears up. And next thing you see, it's a military convoy. Well, if that sounds familiar to you, then you indeed have seen The Mist. And if you go back and look at how this shot is executed or the sequence is executed in this movie and what happened in The Mist later, I never put it together until this rewatch. But they are the same, and it's pretty fantastic. So we check our reviews on iTunes and Spotify and all the places weekly before we record the podcast, which comes out every Wednesday. Um, let us know if you think you were right or wrong. Tell us what your favorite horror movie of the 80s is in a review. We'll be sure to see it there. Thank you for listening. And until next Wednesday, have a great horror week.